you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, I trust you're having a good week, a week filled with work that you love. If you're not, stay with us. Even if you are, stick around. We're going to have some interesting questions. You know, even if you know the right answers, it's fun just to reiterate sometimes the principles that help us be successful. I mean, this morning in my guys group, we're talking about a book and a couple of the guys were saying, well, we really don't need to talk about, you know, this particular book. And I'm saying, you got to be kidding me. I mean, we need to rethink why we believe what we believe, rethink the things that have gotten us where we are, rethink things that will take us to new levels of success. So I trust you're on that track. We get some interesting questions today. You know, some of the things I've heard just this week are, this is from an actual, you know, somebody who said, Dan, I think it's easier to be miserable than to change. Wow. Easier to be miserable than to change. I had a lady ask me, is my vision bigger than what I'm capable of? Well, we got a lot of interesting questions. This is Dan Meller, your host for this session of 48 Days Online Radio, where each week we take questions, unpack them, look at principles that can take us to higher levels of success. I read a lot. If you've been listening at all, you know that I read tons. I'm reading right now a book titled How Rich People Think. It's fascinating the dichotomy between the way poor people think and rich people think just the differences in the way they think, not just they were lucky or they got something or they got a better education. Those things just pale in comparison to just the way they think. I'll share some of those principles in upcoming weeks, just the, some of the basic principles about how rich people think. Well, here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at today. Dan, I'm a pastor and musician with a very adventurous spirit that gets unsettled about every three years. Dan, I have a factory job that is predictable and I hate it. I crave variety and freedom throughout my day. I'm trying to distinguish between what I'm good at and what I care about. Dan, how do you handle the overwhelming tsunami of neglect and disorganization left in the wake of a three-year depressed state? How do I determine if self-employment is feasible or if it is right for me? Dan, are there useful tips you might suggest to help quench the little man or woman sitting on our shoulders? Well, don't we all have that little man or little woman once in a while sitting on our shoulders saying, Hey, what are you dreaming? You can't do that. That's way beyond what you're capable of. Yeah. Your vision's bigger than what you're capable of. Well, that's that little guy on your shoulder. Just flick him off. Get rid of him. We're going into a new year. It's time to get rid of the little guy on your shoulder and start thinking for yourself. Here's a quotation. This one comes from Alexander Graham Bell, who said, when one door closes, another door opens. But we often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the ones which open for us. Hey, I want to remind you about our first upcoming event of the year is coaching with excellence that's coming up at about mid-january or so so not too far away we'd love to see you come to that now this is one where we take the knowledge that 95 percent of coaches never make more than forty thousand dollars a year i mean we know that statistically it's not a great field to get into 
But my gosh, my question is, how difficult can it be to put yourself in the 5%? And trust me, it's not that difficult at all. All you have to do is do things a little differently than what most, most coaches do. So if you want to be a health coach, a fitness coach, nutrition coach, career coach, job coach, life coach, spiritual director, parenting coach, whatever it happens to be. We have all kinds of people. We have people who come who are music coaches, voice coaches, speech coaches, gardening coaches. The list goes on and on. If you want to be a coach and put yourself into that 5% category, join us in January. Coaching with Excellence. Check out the live events under 48days.com. We'll... We'll make it special for you to be here. Trust me. We're going to spoil you with great Southern cooking that we have our caterers provide. You get lots of gifts and goodies by being here and rub shoulders with other people who are on the same path to success that you are. If you have questions about that, if you have questions for me, just shoot a question to me. Just ask Dan at 48days.com. If you have any questions about that coaching with excellence event, You're going to go out of here armed with the tools to put you into that 5% guaranteed. Trust me. There really is. It's not that secret of a process. It isn't. You're going to go out of here with a checklist one through 25, do these things. And you're going to be absolutely assured of putting yourself into that rear 5% where you can go past the 40,000 past a hundred thousand. If you want to, I'm going to show you 10 different ways that you can make a hundred thousand dollars with coaching. 10 different ways you can mix and match or do all of them and make a million, whatever. But uh, we go through real ways that you can put yourself on top of the pack. I've done some pretty interesting things this year in terms of coaching, just to try new ideas, just to encourage those of you who are coaches in the innovative things that can be done. Yes. In this economy. Yes. In this economic climate, whatever, make it happen. Well, let's jump to the questions. Bill from Tupelo says, I'm looking to join a company selling medical insurance online. All right, medical insurance online working from home. The company has a solid track record and is A-rated by the Better Business Bureau. Been doing business for years. I would have a district manager that would mentor me and work as we would work as a team. I would be a 1099, meaning he'd be an independent contractor, so not an employee. Would basically have expenses of buying Live transfer leads. Not sure what those would consist of, but anyway, uh, says several agents on the team are strong six figure earners as you can build on referrals after the first year. I'm now a PNC captive agent, property and casualty insurance, and I'm tired of the brick and mortar office I'm renting. Working from home online also allows me to be unlimited by territory. I can work from anywhere with my laptop. The timing for this business seems right with health care reform happening. Love your podcast and Merry Christmas. Well, thanks, Bill. My question about being with a company in today's environment for medical insurance or anything really is it's so easy to compare. I mean, I would never take a quote from Allstate or State Farm or Nationwide or any anybody providing health insurance without comparing it to a bunch of other companies. And, and it's so easy to do that. I'm, I'm not sure how you would have a unique niche. How do you get ahead of the game over sites on the internet, like insurancequotes.org, where you're going to get instant quotes from a whole bunch of companies. Quotesmith is one I use a lot and refer people to quotesmith.com. The one Dave Ramsey recommends my buddy, Jeff Zander, Zander, 
insurance, xanderins.com. I mean, you can put in there what you're looking for and instantly get quotes from 30 different companies. So compare right there. I question, Bill, how you could have a unique edge in being a captive rep for one company in today's environment. Maybe things I'm not seeing here, but that does not sound to me like an appealing process. Now, the, the other thing is, keep in mind, as you well know, relationship with your insurance agent has changed. I mean, it used to be that you got insurance with a guy whose office was down the corner and you saw him at the hardware store and in a restaurant when you ate dinner and in church on Sunday. It's not like that anymore. I mean, insurance purchasing is not that relationship oriented. People jump online, save three bucks a month and switch companies. It's just a commodity. You just find the basic insurance you need and switch. I'm sure there are exceptions to that, but I don't know many people who just have a great relationship with one agent and they just go with them for everything. Now I have an agent who handles my house, all of our vehicles. I call him, you know, just to make switches on vehicles. I mean, but even there, he shops a lot of different companies for my needs. He doesn't have just one company that he represents. So he is my agent, but he's shopping companies to make sure I get the best coverage. Well, Stephen from Alpharetta, Georgia says, Dan, I'm not sure how I found your podcast, but you've been a godsend. I'm 47 and four months ago, lost my job as a position required me to relocate. And I could not. I'm a CPA possess a master's in tax and law degree Found myself in a unique position too experienced, too educated and uh, too old, old, which by the way, I believe is how they really say I'm too expensive. I'm dabbled in blogging and though really a vehicle for me to put my thoughts on paper, I've been encouraged by the feedback I've received. I enjoy public speaking and writing. I would like to develop a seminar business and spend my days. Now what you've written Stephen is and spend my days waiting, speaking and consulting. I am confident you meant writing, speaking and consulting. Although some people who want to go in this direction, spend a lot of time waiting. That's true. My natural market is corporate tax. I'm afraid that audience is too limited with the market served by many. How small of a niche can I carve in the seminar business? Well, you, you can carve a really small niche. I mean, I, I know a guy who does nothing but do seminars on OSHA, I mean, occupational and safety requirements that companies have to conform to, that, that's his thing. That's all he does. He just does those. He just books himself wherever he wants to go. If he wants to go to Vegas for a month, he just finds companies there and books himself to do those in-house seminars. I mean, you can do seminars on the HIPAA requirements. You can have a small area of expertise and do well. The question is, can you book clients to do that? So while you have this background and you are a CPA and you know tax code, you know, I mean, the, the area of expertise is not really the critical issue. You could pick a whole lot of other small niche areas. The question is, can you position yourself as a speaker consultant and writer and get out here and create income from that? I mean, those are things that I do. It's not an easy path. Is it doable? Obviously, yes. I'm going to say yes. But uh, that, that's real, the real key. Don't worry about being too narrow of an inch. Just put together a marketing plan for what you would do. Your prospective target companies start 
contacting them, you're going to contact them repeatedly. We know that 80% of sales are made after the fifth presentation. So you need to be looking at what is your marketing plan so you can fill your schedule doing what you want to do. Sure. It's, it's doable. No problem. David from South Dakota. What do you think of Wikipedia's fundraising efforts via a banner on the top of their website? Now what they've got running, I'm real familiar with this, but David has it here. Wikipedia you go there and it pops up. We are the small nonprofit that runs the number five website in the world. We have cost like any other top site servers, power, rent power programs, and staff. Wikipedia is something special. It's like a library or a public park. It's like a temple for the mind, a place we can all go to think and learn Pro- to protect our independence. We never run ads. We take no government funds. We run on donations averaging about $30. And David asked, does this fit the way Dan would run a business? No, it doesn't. But I'm really very supportive of what they are doing. It's been a phenomenon that has absolutely rocked the world. I mean, to have that source of information, I mean, I refer to Wikipedia probably three times a day just for information. People put it up there. The wealth of information there. I mean, if I want to know what was, oh, the other night, Monday night, we were sitting in Ditka's in Chicago, the restaurant, Mike Ditka's restaurant, phenomenal restaurant, incidentally, and we've recommended it to a lot of people. We were sitting in Chicago in Ditka's restaurant and I, Joanna and I were just talking and I said, I wonder how old Mike Ditka is. Well, boom, I grabbed my phone put in Mike Ditka. What do you think the first thing has came up with Wikipedia? And it told me that he was born in 1939. So I mean, Wikipedia has that wealth of information. I value that. I make donations to Wikipedia periodically through the year. I mean, it's one of those, I mean, I, I don't see it as some charity. It's not the same category as that kind of giving, but it's a service that I use. And because they are funded by people just making donations. Sure. I make donations cause I use a service. So it's not a business I'd be interested in at all, but it's not a business model that I'd be interested in, but I'm certainly supportive of what they're doing. Well, just a reminder, this is Dan Miller on the 48 days online radio show. A lot of you ask how you can ask questions. Well, it's pretty easy. Just go to the 48 days.com site, click on podcast, and you'll see a little box jump up there at you where you can write it in. Or you can just click the Speak Easy button and you can just start talking. Most any computer at this point it has a little mic built in and it's that automated. You just talk. You can put it in there. Now you don't hear me use a lot of those on here. I usually condense what the question was anyway. I'll maybe use use one here in a little bit just to let you know what it sounds like. But... um you know what? I'll just go ahead and do that as my next question. Just since we're talking about it, that's one of the ways you can leave a question or you can just write it out and I will consider it for an upcoming podcast. Now we get a lot of questions. I try to take questions that are certainly unique and sometimes they're unique to just that individual. Usually they have principles in them though that apply to many of us. Well, let's, let me go to Sam's question here. We'll talk about that for a little bit. Hey, Dan, this is Sam in Nevada. I just wanted to tell you that I had a website. It's called easyjournaling.com. Had it for about a year and a half, and it hasn't ever really gone anywhere. But recently, I finally picked up 48 Days to the Work You Love. 
I listened to it. I'm on my third time in about two weeks, and it's given me the courage to finally do something big with the Easy Journaling website. And so I've joined with the other journaling bloggers out there, the gurus, to start the first ever Journaling Expo. It's going to be January 13th. You can find more info at journalingexpo.com. But it's just, this is like the big thing that I'm doing. And I hope that it brings my little niche website kind of out into the open. And I just wanted to say thanks. 48 days was a huge part of that. And also, I was surprised that 48 days had some, had a lot of really good information about my day job. I work in the, the transportation industry and I'm looking to get a promotion soon. And, and I kind of was surprised to find some, some good information for my upcoming interviews. So anyway, Sam, and I'm just really grateful, Dan. Thanks. Bye. Well, there you go. That's an example of an audio question that was left, one of the shorter ones. So I did go ahead and include it here. Now, Sam says that he's doing journaling and he's trying to get some traction for the journaling that he's doing. The website he mentioned, incidentally, and the event coming up is journalingexpo.com. Just like it sounds, journalingexpo.com. Now, in response to your question, Sam, about using your journaling. I mean, journaling's a concept that's been around a long time. People like Julia Cameron in The Artist Way talks about the power of journaling every day. And certainly a lot of spiritual leaders talk about the power of journaling in terms of charting your own history, your own path, your thinking, develop it. I mean, it's a way to capture ideas that you've got so you can go back later and nurture those again and bring them to life. A lot of power in that. In terms of how you use that to generate income, yeah, you're talking about, you know, a site that maybe has some ads on it there. I mean, doing an event like you're doing the Journal and Expo, I mean, it, it looks like a cool event. I did go and check that out. There's no cost for registration, which is a cool way to do it. I assume it's a teleseminar in the course of an afternoon, January 13th, I think it was, for like three hours. You got some other experts there. That's a great thing to do. Just attract an audience, start building a name for yourself. And then you'll have to look for those creative ways that you can turn that skill or that interest into some income generation. I know that's a big thing. I mean, I talk a lot about doing what you love and the money will show up. And and I really believe that, but then you have to be intentional and strategic about how that's going to happen. You can't just go out and, you know, sit, sit at the, in the night and look at the stars as an example, because you enjoy doing that and thinking that somehow because you enjoy that and you're doing it, money will show up. No, you still have to have some kind of an economic model. How is this, how is this going to work? You know, how are you going to turn that desire, that ability that you have into income? That's still a challenge and it's a challenge for all of us. Vicki from Fort Smith, Arkansas. Dan, I recently finished Wisdom Meets Passion and 48 Days. I'm a pastor, musician, bookkeeper, and owner of a recording studio with a very adventurous spirit that gets unsettled about every three years. I love community work and networking groups for a specific cause. I'm restless in my current human resources job, which confines me to a cubicle. My hourly salary is $13 an hour, and we are on our second year of a wage freeze. I may have an opportunity to work part-time for a nonprofit which would leave two days a week to focus on our business. I'm 48, feel my spirit busting, bursting with anticipation of making this leap to the things I love the most. 
Do you have any advice or words of wisdom to offer for this decision-making process? Please explore fountainsquarehouse.com. I looked at your, I looked at your site, Vicki. I mean, it's a beautiful site. It looks like a beautiful studio that you've got. I guess part of my question is you're 48 years old. You're a pastor, musician, bookkeeper, owner of a recording studio. Why are you working in a job where you sit in a cubicle making $13 an hour? I mean, I'm really having a hard time getting my head around that. If you do any of those other things to any degree at all, it ought to bypass, it ought to blow right by the attraction of sitting in a cubicle at 13 bucks an hour. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, if you have those abilities and you have those things in place, you have access to a studio as you obviously do, then I mean, all you need to do is just ramp those up. I mean, you've got your interest clearly defined. Any of those. I mean, if you're a bookkeeper and you do that, my bookkeeper will be by here this afternoon. I mean, I get my things ready for her. She picks them up. I mean, she's an independent, independent contractor. I mean, she's not an employee, but she's my bookkeeper. And she has 10, 15 clients like me, I assume. And, uh, I mean, you, you could do that. I mean, any of the things that you mentioned you could do with just a little bit of activity and do better financially. So if you're bursting in anticipation anyway and you've got these skills, put together a plan of action and do it. Apparently, that's what you're lacking is just a plan of action. You know, do a business plan. Go go to my website. Go to 48days.com under resources. and You can download, open up a free business plan. Go through through take any of your ideas go through there what is unique about what you're doing what are other competitors doing what has to happen financially for this to make sense how could you structure what would you charge who would be your target audience i mean just go through that and just do it boy man when you uh golly when you when you talk about what you're doing there i have to think of this Well, sounds like you're working too hard for the money. Time to move on. Well, Chris from Hendersonville or Henderson says, Dear Dan, I took the disc personality profile and I scored an S and a C. Now again, DISC dominance, influencing, steadiness, compliance. So we're gonna have as we go through those, the S and the C are more behind the scenes, more introverted, detailed, analytical. It said I like my work to be predictable. However, I have a factory job that is predictable and I hate it. I crave variety and freedom throughout my day. Would you please shed some light on this? Sure. Not a problem at all, Chris. There is no one job indicated by the disc profile or anything else out there. So if it says that you like things that are predictable in general, I suspect that's true. You probably keep your, drawers arranged according to sock color. You know, you probably keep your car clean. You probably do your taxes on time and every checkbook up to date and accurate. I mean, those are all things that would be indicators of somebody who likes things that are predictable. Does that mean there's one, just because your job is predictable that you would like it? No, not at all. But those same characteristics would make you a candidate to be a dentist, an attorney, a UPS driver. He's an airline pilot. I mean, those are all things that would line up as well with being high in S and C. They're all jobs where they have a great degree of predictability and accuracy that are required, but they're very, very different from working in a factory. So 
the fact that you're miserable there, I still expect that you would like something that has a degree of predictability to it. I mean, you can prove me wrong on that, but I suspect that you're really going to find that that is true, but find something else. You know, the fact that, that it says that you like things that are predictable and, and the one job you are in now is that, but you don't like it. Boom. Just trust your lack of peace about not liking the job. Get out, do a job search and find something else that is a better fit. Anne says your question about seeing outside of what I may be good at to what I really care about has been on my mind a lot lately. Apparently referring to a, another question I answered. I have many years of experience in finance and I'm doing accounting work to pay the bills. I'm working on building my financial coaching business, working with small businesses, but I wonder if finance is really what I care about. Yeah. If you're wondering, and then it would make sense to explore other options. Don't confuse having the ability with having a passion. Now that's this, this covers a whole lot of people. Many people have proven their ability to do something well and hate the life they've created. Now we're in a culture that really embraces having the ability to do something well. That's what you ought to do. So if you're good with numbers, mathematics, yeah, you ought to be an actuary, an accountant, a bookkeeper. Well, that's very, very narrow. There are a whole lot of things you could do with those skills. So just because you have the ability does not mean that you ought to spend your time doing that one thing. Yes, I make a very good living seeing dentists, accountants, pastors, engineers, physicians who have proven their ability to do what they do very well and yet hate the work that they're doing every day. So the the fact that you're wondering about it gives good reason to take a fresh look. Just because you have the ability in finance and accounting doesn't mean that's the only thing that you ought to be doing, especially when you think about there's you are in one traditional application of that. We could come up with a a hundred different ways to apply those skills where you really are doing the massaging of numbers, but it's in a very different environment. I mean, if you are the accountant at a fortune 500 company in Washington, DC, I mean, that's one kind of application. If you are doing the books for uh, NGO in Uganda, Africa, I mean, that's going to be a very, very different experience. So don't make the job, the daily job, become the reality of who you are and what you're all about and what you do. It's just one tiny application. So look beyond that and then go back and revisit like a layout in 48 Days to the Working Love. Skills and abilities, that's one third of the equation. Secondly is your personality, personality traits. And third, values, dreams, and passions. Those are the three areas that need to be blended if you're going to have work that is really meaningful over the long haul. Well, says, how do you handle the, the overwhelming tsunami of neglect and disorganization left in the wake of a three-year depressed state and still turn around your business and life without falling backward again? Wow. All right. If you've had a three-year depressed state, I mean, that, that's pretty major. No question about it. Start by making baby steps of clear progress. A lot of times what that means is doing something in an area of our life where we have immediate kind of feedback. Let me give you an example been depressed usually depressed people you know lay around they don't get going they aren't vibrant physically 
what I often do with somebody just to get them started again is do something physically. I mean, walk three miles in the morning, increase the pace, increase the distance, do something physically where you practice the discipline, self-discipline and enjoy the results of setting a clear goal and accomplishing it. So if your goal is to walk three miles, boom, get out and walk three miles. You do that. Takes you one hour if you go slow. So you do that, but then you immediately experience the satisfaction of having set a goal and achieved it. And also the burst of endorphins and other things that happen physically that make you feel sharper and more on top. So make sure that you're making those small deposits of success in the multiple areas of life. And so you can be rewarded by those little successes and then move into the bigger areas again. David asked, how do I determine if self-employment is feasible or even right for me? How do you focus on the goal without leaving your family on the sidelines? Now, those are a couple of big questions. We're going to spend a little time unpacking this because I think, again, it relates to something that a whole lot of us, you know, ask ourselves, how do I determine if self-employment is feasible or if it's right for me? How do I focus on the goal without leaving my family in the sidelines. Now, let me, let me kind of jump in here and make an assumption. The assumption seems to be that if I go into self-employment or having my own business, that then there's going to be a high risk of leaving a family on the sidelines. Let me tell you something. Leaving your family in the sidelines is not a function of whether you have a job or whether you have your own business. It's a choice regardless. I mean, I see people who are working in jobs and they volunteer to work overtime and they're putting in 70 hours a week and then they stop at the local pub on the way home. And so they get home when everybody's in bed, they get up in the morning and leave before anybody's up and start that cycle over. I mean, their decision to leave the family on the sidelines is not that they have a job that requires it. They just created habits that allow that. Same thing is true if you have your own business. I mean, I know people who have their own business who never see their family. I mean, I worked with a, uh, saw a couple one time. She asked me to sit down with them. They're friends of ours. She said, he's never home. You know, our marriage is falling apart. The girls are growing up without knowing him. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm starting this business. I, I, if I'm going to be a responsible provider, I have to spend time in the business. I have to get it going. I'm being a faithful husband by working my butt off in a business. All right. Three years go by, turn the clock ahead three years. She calls me again, Dan, can you sit down with us and just talk through this again, where we are sat down with them that year. This was in June in by June. He had already netted $3 million from his business. She's saying he's never home. Our marriage is in rough shape. The girls are growing up. They don't know their dad. They're making decisions on their own. And he's saying, well, my gosh, I've got this business to maintain. I got to keep this thing going or else we're going to be broke. What do you expect me to do? Habits are the same regardless of the circumstances. So don't think that a job or being in business for yourself dictates whether or not you're spending quality family time. That's a separate decision. You can do that. If you have a job, you can do that if you have your own business. Now, frankly, I think it's a whole lot easier to do that having my own business than having a job. I mean, I can, my granddaughters know they can roll in here at 10 o'clock on a Thursday morning and say, you know, Papa, let's go to the park or let's go to the pumpkin fest. 
or let's go watch a parade. I mean, they know they can do that. They know that Papa's not locked into hours that he can't violate. They're not going to hear from me. Well, no, I've got to go back to my job. I think it's a whole lot easier to have quality family time and having my own business. So some people would argue that the reverse is true. But see, the, the decision really, it's a personal direction, a personal having decided on priorities in advance, regardless of the external circumstances. Now, how do you determine if self-employment is feasible, if it's right for you? And trust me, it's not for everybody. Sometimes I cringe when I get the impression that people think I think everybody ought to be looking toward the day when they leave their jobs. Not at all. I think you ought to be knowledgeable about the full continuum of possibilities. That is true. So if you're looking for a job, I think it's short-sighted not to look at the opportunities in being a consultant, freelance person, independent contractor, contingency worker, entrepreneur, having a franchise. I mean, all those things are possibilities that are outside the traditional job. And I think it is short-sighted not to look at all of those. So then you can choose with a clear head, choose clearly, this is the best fit for me. That I do believe 100%. Do I think that for some people, they will choose that the best option is to get the next job? I hope so, because for many people, that is the best choice. That's not a lesser choice. It's not, um, you know, diminished in any way. It just is a good fit for some people. So if you are thinking about being self-employed, starting your own business, and I'll distinguish between those here in a second as well, but Here are some of the things that you ought to ask yourself and you ought to be able to answer yes to most of these. Are you a self-starter? Do you get along with different kinds of people? Do you have a positive outlook? Are you able to make decisions? Are you able to accept responsibility? Do you enjoy competition? Do you have willpower and self-discipline? Do you plan ahead? Can you take advice from others? Are you adaptable to changing conditions? Do you have a high level of confidence and belief in what you're doing? Do you enjoy what you're going to do? Can you sell yourself and your ideas? Do you have the physical and emotional energy to run a business? Do you have the support of your family and or spouse? Are you willing to risk your own money in this venture? Those are the kind of things that I would ask that do need to be true. If the majority of those are true, then you're likely a good candidate to be self-employed or have your own business. If the majority of those make you cringe and you say no, then by all means do a great job search, get a job that just rocks the world, a job where you can engage your skills and abilities, your personality tendency, your values, dreams, and passions. I mean, there's a whole lot of people who are looking for greater control of their destinies and time freedom that certainly having your business allows. But again, it's not the one size fits all by any means. Please be aware of that. Hey, just a reminder, I'll we'll do, I'll do my quick transition here. Just a reminder that if you've got a question, uh, sometimes I'm surprised that I get questions through our website about how to ask a question for the podcast. If you're listening, I hope you know, just go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast, and you'll see a little box jump up where you can write in your question, or you can just hit that little speak button and just verbally ask your question. 
Couldn't be easier than that. I'd be happy to entertain questions, your question for an upcoming show. Now, here's one little interesting twist. Marty says, I've heard you say more than once that perfection in the, po- in the product is not essential. Just stay true to the purpose, make the product good and appealing and valuable, and improve it as you go along. Meanwhile, Michael Hyatt, in his book, Platform, Get Noticed in a Noisy World, puts significant emphasis on getting your branding and web page presentations as perfect as possible before going public with them, so as not to present oneself as insignificant or immaterial at the onset. What suggestions do you have for balancing these seemingly incongruent pieces of advice? Well, let me clarify. I think we're talking about a couple different things here, but I'll I'll tell you clearly my perspective on this anyway. When Michael Hyatt says that you ought to have your website and those kind of presentation materials looking really good, I agree. It's so easy to do that. It's pretty foolish to just have something sloppy up there or with a lot of spelling errors there. Uh, Yesterday, somebody on 48days.net had a question. Well, he wanted people to review his site and ask him to, you know, sign up with, I mean, he wanted you to ask him to be a service provider for your website and all that. The spelling errors in what he put up were horrendous. And I thought, oh my gosh, how sad. You just killed any chances of having a thinking, breathing individual engage with you because it's just inexcusable at that level. So that, that I do believe, I mean, you need to have a a sharp looking website. Again, you can do that in 20 minutes. I mean, why would you have something sloppy? And if you aren't able to do it yourself, then certainly get somebody that has the skills to do that. However, what I often talk about as an example is the history, the evolution of 48 days to the work you love. When I first put that out, people were just asking me for material. I didn't have anything. And so I finally went to Kinko's and just put together the rough notes I was using in that Sunday school class, put a hard stock cover on it, had Kinko's spiral bind it. It was just block printing on the front. It was like, hey, find the work you love, something. That's what I had. Then I added a little cassette to that where the cassette was not professionally produced went to a friend's house on a Saturday morning, hung a blanket on either side of me in a hallway to did in the sound of his kids playing. And we recorded right straight through no edits, no music, no editing, nothing. And put a cassette with that little spiral bound thing. And I started selling those for twenty four ninety five. Then I made it a little nicer. And somebody feel sorry for me because the cover looks so crappy. Somebody volunteered, did a free cover for me. We started using that still had a spiral bound, Well, then we moved to a three-ring binder. We moved to a three-ring binder and ultimately to a three-ring binder with CDs in it. The material was still really not polished at all. It was not done. Nobody edited it. Nobody laid it out to look really nice. It was just still a really rough compilation of my notes and how to navigate this process, how to look inside, define what your purpose, your calling, your focus should be, then identify what kind of work that would position you for, how to go through those steps. That was it. But that little three ring binder with two CDs in it, I sold over $2 million worth of that product. Then, and only then, of course, then by then I had publishers knocking on my door. They're saying, wow, let us do this as a traditional trade book. And at that point, then it went through the editing process and really refined it. If I had waited until I had a really refined product, it probably would have never happened. 
I certainly couldn't have gone to a publisher. They didn't know me. I mean, that's pretty impossible to, to get in with a publisher at that level. It would have been, it would have delayed the process, but it probably would have killed the process. I wasn't looking to become an author at that point, speaker, coach. I was just a sales guy. I mean, I can always land on my feet and selling. I was selling. We were doing fine at that point. But it was because of that sideline, the teaching at a Sunday school class, and that just kind of kept developing with people badgering me for more information that I reluctantly started developing things, but I did not wait till they were perfect. So I, th- I think there's a balance here. I mean, again, times have changed for one thing. Even now, I mean, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't do something as sloppy and as amateurish as what I did back then because it's so easy with word processing programs to lay something out nice with graphic programs to have a nicer looking cover. So it's a whole lot easier now than it would have been back then. Now it would be pretty inexcusable to do something that sloppy, but still I err on the side of getting in the game quickly. I see too many people who have been working on their book for seven years, or they've been thinking about starting a business for 10 years. I mean, that's ridiculous. Come on. I mean, I don't think we can learn much of what we need to know to be successful by just reading or thinking about it or building a perfect website. Just get in the game and improve it as you go along. So, yeah, I'm still going to err way on that side. And I do everything like that. I mean, you heard me, heard me talk about my 48 low-cost business ideas. That was prompted by a recorded radio interview that we did like on a Wednesday and it was going to air on Monday and I didn't have any product, but I said, just go to our website, click on the little yellow post-it note for Dan's 48 low cost business ideas. In that interim, I knocked out a list of 48 things along with photos, links and everything. It was really rough. It was pretty sloppy. We had 90,000 people download that in a three week period. Nobody, not a single person complained about how sloppy it was. They wanted the information. Now there's a key. If you want to have a business, I mean, a lot, a lot of things, and let me just comment on that a little bit too, because a lot of the questions that I've got even here today, like about writing or blogging, you know, well, how can I make money for that? You know, I just like to do it. Well, the question is, are you solving a problem? If you're solving a problem, you can make money doing it. If you're just kind of having a good time out here in airy fairy internet space, you may never make any money with that. With 48 days, it was obvious I was solving a problem. People wanted to know, how can I get out of this crappy job and do something that really makes my heart sing? And that's why that book has done so well. So if you're solving a problem, yeah, you can, you, you don't have to wait until it's perfect. You can jump in the game and money will start showing up pretty quickly. Well, let me grab a couple more here. Bill, Bill says, are there any useful tips you might suggest to in, incorporate into a daily routine to help squelch the little man or woman sitting on our shoulders? In essence, ideas for positive self-talk to keep confidence, motivation, et cetera, strong. I did a teleseminar recently with my son, Kevin, through his free agent Academy. And one of the points that I had there for the, one of the five keys for transitioning from traditional work to self-employment was see the future with optimism, hope, boldness, enthusiasm, and the confidence that can come only from having faith in what may not yet be a reality. 
one that I just had a note there. These are not just positive thinking gimmicks. These are real characteristics that are essential to your success. Without them, you really do need to keep a job. But if you don't have those characteristics, optimism, hope, boldness, enthusiasm, then my question is, who's going to want you on their team anyway? I mean, again, in faith that I talk about does not mean just blind hope. It means taking specific action based on what we know at this point. Brent says, can one start out as a true business in the sense of the word or is owning your own job, the foundation and recommended step first in the process? If the second is true, how quickly can you move from one to the other? Here's what he's referring to. And again, I've, I've talked a lot recently about the idea of understanding the difference between being self-employed and starting a business. I mean, a lot of people move from employment to self-employment only to realize all they did was create a job for themselves. Now that's okay, but just be realistic about what you're doing. Lots of graphic designers, accountants, web designers, hairstylists, painters, landscape artists, dentists, attorneys have just moved from working for someone else to working for themselves. And that can be a viable way to increase your income and time flexibility immediately. But having a business implies that this is an organization that makes money, even if you're not there. So many dentists, engineers, accountants, and physicians I see don't really have a business at all. They're just self-employed. Can you leverage your intellectual expertise in a way that creates residual income rather than only linear income? Now, what Brett is asking, is it a necessary stair-step process to first just own a job and then ultimately have it become a business? I started with coaching. That's self-employment. It's not a business. It's just seeing people and getting paid for coaching. But then as I took that same intellectual expertise and started packaging it in terms of products, audio things, instructional manuals, live events that I'm doing... I mean, there, there we start to go into residual income. You can do both. Now, let, let me give you a simple example. If you're a distributor for Frisbees, a new model that's manufactured in Taiwan, you can negotiate that deal this afternoon, put a sample up on eBay, go to bed for the night, and tomorrow morning you wake up with 36 orders that came in while you slept. That has a lot of the characteristics of a true business. It really does. So you can do both really quickly. You can go into a business without ever having to be stuck at a position of just having a job. And this is not a good, bad, right or wrong. It's just a different format. But a lot of people went into self-employment thinking that they started a business when they did not. They just are self-employed and that's fine. But there, you ought to understand the distinction between the two. Let me end with this. Wendy says, I find myself thinking, oh, how I wish it could happen instead of thinking, let's make this happen. I'm confident most of the time, but when it comes to financial success, I struggle with thinking positive. Perhaps it is from my past failures. In your history of business ventures, how did you get over the failures and look to the future with excitement and promise and not fear? Wendy, it has a lot to do with how I frame failure. I mean, we're talking about semantics. A lot of people define failure as something that just was a crushing blow to the head and now they're laying on the sidewalk never to rise again. To me, failure is, wow, that dude just bopped me on the head. What am I going to learn from this? How am I going to protect myself from that when I come back again? I'm immediately thinking what's on the other side. I mean, I, I really am a glass 
half full kind of guy. So if the glass is half empty, I'm thinking, wow, what am I going to do to fill it up? I'm not thinking about what am I going to do when it gets to the bottom. Now, a lot of that is just training. That doesn't, you don't have to wait for a certain kind of personality. I mean, you can train yourself to have that kind of expectation. So I view failure very differently from the average guy in the street. To me, it's a necessary part of the process to ultimate success. So I don't cringe when it comes along. There's some things right now that I'm dealing with that I'm not going to continue doing because they haven't worked like I thought they would. Is that failure? Yeah, it is. I don't care if we call it that. So it's failure. I didn't accomplish that this year. So I'm not going to do it anymore. So I'm going to decide what am I going to do instead of that? What am I going to look toward that I'm going to replace that with? Hey, I hope that's your thinking. I hope you're anticipating the new year. We're right here at the beginning of a brand new year, a beginning of new opportunities. Time for you to decide in advance what you want the year to look like. Hey, thanks for being part of this team, this incredible year that we are now bringing to a close. Have a wonderful Christmas with family this next week. Thanks for being part of this group where we are finding or creating work that is meaningful, productive, purposeful, and profitable. 